I love it when you sing those radical songs. Laying your life before the Lord, that is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Pray with me this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of being people who have free access to your word. Lord, as we open your word this morning, we pray that you would speak to us, that you would empower us, and that you would lead us to be more like Jesus. We pray in his name, the name above all names. Amen. I wonder if you've ever been in a situation where you were having some kind of, you know, athletic competition or you had to choose teams for something and you did the counting off by twos. Is there, have you ever done that before? Counting off by twos? Do you think we could pull that off this morning? Tiffany, we're going to start with you. You're one. Two. One. Two. Imagine if we tried counting off by fours, <laughs> or fives, or whatever. You know, um, it's interesting to me that uh, that purpose of counting off by twos is a purpose of division, and dividing the crowd into two groups. And today, as we step back into the Gospel of Mark, we're going to see one of Jesus' clearest statements about the condition of people. And he's going to show us that there really are only two kinds of people in the world. Those who are with him, those who are for him, and those who are against him. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, verses 38 through 41. It's on page 1569 in the Pew Bibles in front of you if you want to follow along with me. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, verse 38. Teacher, said John... We saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop, because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever, catch this verse 40, for whoever is not against us is for us. Truly I tell you, anyone who gives a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. What was the occasion for this teaching? Uh, the disciples had seen someone outside their crowd doing ministry in the name of Jesus. They got a little ticked off about that. And here in this passage, now notice, as we've gone through the Gospel of Mark, we have seen that usually the guy who steps up and puts his foot in his mouth is Peter. But in this instance, it's not Peter, it's John, one of Jesus' closest, he's called elsewhere, the beloved disciple. He had been with Peter and seen the transfiguration in the Gospel of Mark chapter 9 a little bit earlier on. And I wonder, just thinking about this from Peter's perspective, I wonder if looking back on this, Peter was really, really glad that he was not the one to ask the question. Because the question's a little mm, pretentious. Those people who aren't us were doing ministry in Jesus' name. We're the cool guys. We're the 12. They're not part of the 12. What are they doing? And so Jesus has to clear things up for these guys. And he starts doing that in verse 39. And he says this. The genuine work done in his name is evidence of relationship with him. Now there are other places in the scriptures where people are trying to profit from the name of Jesus, trying to have personal advantage attached to the name of Jesus. 
And sadly, that has been historically true down through the centuries, down through the two millennia of the history of the Christian church. There have been people who have tried to take advantage of and make a profit on the name of Jesus. But this guy, in this passage, the people that the, the person that the disciples are concerned about, this guy, in this passage, really does minister in the power and the name of Jesus. He is with Jesus. He doesn't sprinkle Tinkerbell pixie dust or shout abracadabra, some magical use of Jesus' name. He has done work that has flowed from the power of the name of Jesus. So at some point, this guy, the guy that the disciples are complaining about, at some point, this guy had discerned the truth of the ministry and message of Jesus and had identified with it And here now he has acted on that truth. And by the way, by the way, a measure of whether we really believe something or not is whether we act on the belief that we espouse. How do we know? One of the ways we know that we are believers in Jesus is if we are actively acting in his name doing the things that he has called us to do. You sang about it a few minutes ago. Father, I adore you. I lay my life before you. Well, if we really did that, that would be evidence of our conviction that Jesus is who he has said said that he is. So, when Jesus kind of clears this up about this guy, he leads us in verse 40 to kind of the main idea, the kind of central idea in this particular passage, this idea of counting off by twos. People are either for Jesus or they're not for Jesus. That's it. I've heard that there are three kinds of people, those who can count and those who can't. Thanks, Steve. I'll give it a minute for the rest of you to settle in. Really, there's only two kinds of people. There's this kind of myth of neutrality that circles, at least in our culture. We were out a couple of weeks ago after uh, worship on Sunday morning, uh, having lunch over at Casa Ramos. I was having my shrimp fajitas, which are delicious. And um, I think we were there for Norman's birthday. And uh, Norman and uh, Phyllis had their daughter and uh, son-in-law and granddaughter and uh, the grandkids there. And the granddaughter was wearing a Star Wars t-shirt. I thought, wow. And I don't know how old she is exactly, but she's not, you know, my age. And I said, are you a Star Wars fan? And she said, yes. And so we got talking about Star Trek and Star Wars and how those things come together. And here's the thing. In, in, in the Star Trek in particular, in the Star Trek series, they had what they called the Prime Directive. And their Prime Directive was not interfering with any particular culture or world they landed on. They were supposed to observe from a position of neutrality. The trouble was, in every episode, they violated the prime directive. They couldn't help but get involved. They had to participate. See, this idea of neutrality, of a kind of a safe space in the middle, uh, it's not true with respect to Jesus. 
Jesus says, with me, not with me. Not with me, with me. So, there are some implications, I think, that flow from this. And one of those implications is that we must not be so narrowly limited in our view of who is in relationship with Christ and doing his work. This is not the first time, nor will it be the last time, that God's people have a limited view of who can work on God's behalf. In fact, all the way back in the Old Testament, in the book of Numbers, uh, Moses uh, is talking and he said, I wish all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on all of them. We have this tendency to be parochial. I don't know if you've noticed this about yourself, but I've noticed this about myself. When I first went into the Air Force, for example, I was in the then Strategic Air Command, which you know no longer exists, but then it was there, the Strategic Air Command. And I thought, I was just a young second lieutenant, what did I know, but I thought, the people in the Strategic Air Command. Now, these are the really cool people in the Air Force. And then I got transferred to Europe. And I was part of the United States Air Forces in Europe. And I thought, huh, these people are kind of cool too. And then later on, I got, I got transferred to uh, Peterson Air Force Base, and I was working at the North American Aerospace Defense Command. Folks from not just the Air Force, but from the Army, can you imagine, and the Marine Corps, and the Navy, and even people from the Canadian forces. And I thought to myself, huh, these people are contributing to the mission too. It's not just my parochial view of the world, my sense of my original identification with the Strategic Air Command. No, it spreads outward. And that's what happens in the body of Christ. Right now, in this town, there are people gathered in worship centers all over the place who are advocating for the name of Jesus. And just because they don't do it our way does not mean that they're not firmly invested, firmly invested in sharing the name of Jesus. Now, here's the thing. Along the way, we have to be firm in our commitment to examine the scriptures to make sure that we are operating from biblical truth. Because otherwise, 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 we are acting on our opinions and our feelings. And as a biblical Christian, as a person who embraces the name of Jesus, our constant refrain should be, what does the Bible say about that? What is our biblical Worldview. How do we see things through the lens of Scripture to understand the culture around us and our call to be light and salt in that culture? My sense is, I could be mistaken about this, but my sense is we do not have the kind of robust biblical worldview we need to navigate our day and our time. Listen, the culture is no longer Christian-friendly. It's no longer even Christian neutral. It's reaching the place where it's Christian hostile. And if we don't have an adequate worldview, if we do not know what the scriptures instruct us to do and to be, then we're not equipped to navigate our way through this culture. We don't know how to be a Christian because we don't know the script, what the scriptures say in a fully orbed and kind of comprehensive manner. And there are some things that are essential things. Jesus, 
fully man and fully God, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, went to a cross, nailed to that cross and died there for our sin. Three days later, resurrected from the dead, not just some phantom ghostly miracle, but resurrected from the dead. People saw him, they, they touched him, they, they heard him. And as he did that, Jesus conquers sin and death for the rest of us. And there's a place where the scriptures are over and over and over again. They emphasize this idea that we have to personally identify with this work of Jesus. That if we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead and confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. There are these essentials that are, that are, that are, that are well, they're essential. And we gather around these essentials. And we realize that as we gather around these essentials, we have the capacity to partner with everybody else who gathers around those essentials too. Because it's not just about us and our preferences. We reject the idea that our way of doing things is the only way of doing things. Now, nothing in the kingdom of God, nothing in the kingdom of God is about our preferences. Nothing. We've already had a celebratory testimonial to Dean's meatloaf this morning, which was served yesterday at the community meal. And those people came in and they, they gathered around and they, they ate that meatloaf. And as I went from table to table, people said, oh, this is delicious. I love this. People kept offering me meatloaf. And I kept saying, mm, no, thank you. I don't like meatloaf. I don't like anything loafed. Bread is the only exception. Don't loaf it. Just, you know, have it. I don't need my meat loafed. I just want my meat. Are you hearing me here? But I didn't say, no, we're not going to have meatloaf because I don't like it. I watched as Dean's meatloaf ministered to all of those people. And as we attended to them in the name of Jesus, it wasn't about me and my preferences. If it was up to me, we'd never loaf anything. But it's not about my preferences. Nothing in the kingdom is about my preferences. And I hate to break it to you this morning, but it's not about your preferences either. I can tell you in my, I don't know, decades now of pastoring, how frequently I've heard the words, I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't care. Because the kingdom of God is not about what we like and what we don't like. The kingdom of God is about a focus on the ministry and mission and purpose of Christ to touch all those people you walk by every day in the city of Emporia, to touch those people you work with, to touch those people who you live next to, to touch all those people in the name of Jesus. It's not about what we like. It's not about what we like. And the way that church history has gone, what has happened is, for the most part, people have gathered together in local fellowships based on what they like and what they don't like. 
And at some level, you know, that's the way it's going to be. But the minute we get the phrase, I don't like that, in the way of what God has called us to do in the name of Jesus, we are in serious, serious, serious trouble. And we're not being a church. We're just hanging out in a building that looks like a church. It's not about us. And what I love in this passage is that Jesus uses that word, us, and and he talks about people who are sharing his name and his mission, and he says they are for us. They are for us. They are for us. But there's another thing in this passage that uh, jumps out, at least at me, in verse 38. Our relationship with Christ must spill over into the way that that we live. This man has been doing ministry in Jesus' name. Our relationship with Jesus is all-encompassing. And in verse 41, I love this, he uses the example of giving a cup of water. Now, you and I in Kansas, sure, we get thirsty from time to time, but it's not the parched, hot, dry climate of Palestine where a cup of cool water was what it took to keep somebody going on a particular day. And Jesus says, if you're giving out a cup of cool water in my name, that's, that's me, that's mission, that's purpose. Which is why when we do, for example, the community meal and the essentials pantry, we don't just do the food as delicious as it is, except for the meatloaf, as delicious as it is, we don't just do the food. We say to the folks who are there, we're doing this because Jesus has called us to do this. We're doing this because we want to reach out to you in his name. It's not about us. It's about him. We were at the Great American Market a couple of weeks ago. It was hot that day. And Pastor Laura and I had gone to Wally World, to Walmart, and purchased 468 bottles of water. I'm thinking to myself, that's a lot of water. So much water that when we loaded it in the back of my car, the little tire warning light came on saying, oops, there's a lot more stuff in here than there used to be. And so we got there, and, and, uh, and Jean and Kathy were gracious to help us be there and set up, and by 1 o'clock we had given away 468 bottles of water. But when we gave away that water, it was giving it in the name of Jesus. That's what we were there for. But also up and down that uh, commercial street display, there were other places, other churches doing other things, uh, giving away other things, encouraging people in other ways. And I thought to myself, amen, go for it, preach it. Cup of water in Jesus' name. And sometimes I think that we have this idea that there are jobs in the kingdom that are too small for us to do. They're just below us. They're beneath us. Thank you very much. When I was a basic training squadron commander, I was standing around with a couple of my training instructors, a couple of the guys that wear those round goofy hats. And we were standing there talking about a couple of things. And over on a a piece of the lawn in front of our squadron building, there was a, a, a wad of paper litter on the grass. And one of the training instructors said, uh, cracked me up, he said, I've got to find an airman who can go pick that up, a basic trainee who can go pick that up. And that other training instructor that was with us, 
He said, watch this. And he stepped over the little barrier around the grass and he walked over and he picked up the piece of paper himself. He said, we can do this too. There's no task that's too small to represent our mission well. There's no task that's too small to represent the kingdom of God well. And we cannot miss what I think is a weird twist, a weird twist that only Christianity can affirm, and that's this. Jesus is for those who are against him. Jesus is for those who are against him. How do I know that? John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God so loved the world. John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus has come that, that we all might have life to the full. 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. This is how we know, this is, excuse me, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Do you get it? Jesus is for those who are against him, calling to them, saying, come and join me. Come have life to the full. I had the opportunity to go to Switzerland one time. Have you ever been to Switzerland? It's nice there. Alps. Hot chocolate. I was there for a Bible conference in a town called uh, Beatenburg, which is in the mountains overlooking the city of, of, of Interlaken in Switzerland. And so we went there for a Bible conference, but of course there were all the snow activities, the cross-country skiing and the skiing and the sledding and all the rest of that stuff. Switzerland, beautiful place. But here's what people know about Switzerland. They know that Switzerland is famous for banking. And they also know that Switzerland is famous for being neutral. In World War II, Switzerland did not pick sides. It was a neutral place in the middle of all that was going on. It was a neutral place. And you've also heard about, particularly recently, this idea of fake news Sometimes the fake news are actual falsehoods. Sometimes what we call fake news is just stuff we don't want to hear. But here's the thing. In the kingdom of God, Jesus is saying in this passage that there is no Switzerland. In the kingdom of God, there is no neutrality. It's fake news. Jesus is saying, for me or against me. Are we for him or against him? Have we encouraged people with our active lives of service and witness to say, Jesus is for you, even if you're against him? Don't be caught in the land of fake news. If you're for him, man, be for him. If you're not for him, he's inviting you into relationship with him. If you're for him, 
Tell folks you're for him. Encourage them to know the way and the truth and the life. Pray with me this morning.